this is Jordan Beal. Welcome to the Rock of Grace podcast from our Kinsman campus. We are passionate about leading people to follow Jesus together, and we're so glad that you're opening the Word of God with us today. I pray God speaks to your heart. Today we're talking about the fourth line in this, line, in this prayer that Jesus gave. He said this in Matthew 6. If you got your Bibles or Bible app, you can turn or scroll there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we talked about last week. Give us our daily bread. How many of you guys were here last week? We talked about Jesus being the daily bread. Not only provision, but Jesus satisfying everything in us that we could actually want. Wow. But today we're talking about this. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Jesus is teaching us a framework of what to say. In fact, let's just be honest as we enter the sermon. How many of you guys have ever entered prayer and one of two things happened? You either thought, what do I say? Anybody? Yeah, most of you. How about this? Has anybody ever happened? You started praying and then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, wait, I was praying. (laughs) Two minutes later, somebody said, you know, Two minutes later, you're like, oh, wait, you know, you're thinking about the, the, the kid's soccer game. You're thinking about the pot roast. You're thinking about, I don't know, uh, what you're thinking about, something at work. But God can give you, a, God has given us a framework to help us be intentional in our prayer. I want to put up a screen that I made for, for the last three weeks. I put this up because it's very important. This is something, uh, a book I'm working on, and this is the whole premise of the whole thing. I want you to see this. Who is God? Who is Satan? Who is man? We talked a lot about this a little bit already, but I want you to understand who is Satan. He is an intruder. He's an intruder. He comes in to intrude the truth, to lie to you. And we're gonna talk about those things, how he gets uh, us thinking things we should not be thinking. Everybody's not along if that's ever happened to you. Come on. And therefore robs us. So we said this verse last week. I I wanna recap this, John 10. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not listen to them, but I am the door. Jesus said, I am the door. Everybody say the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and come out and find pasture, find rest. Do you know Jesus wants you to have rest in your mind? Rest, peace, a rest. Wow. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, Jesus said, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And today we're gonna compare and contrast these ideas. How many know that Jesus later, a couple of chapters later, it's the same little mini sermon, by the way. You know, Jesus didn't say chapter 15 (laughs) while he's talking. He's just talking. But he's talking and he says, hey, I'm gonna send you a comforter and he's gonna comfort you. But a lot of times we listen to the accuser who accuses you or accuses somebody else. And we got to be careful what's going on right here. Everybody put your hand on your temple. In fact, psychologists have said that it's estimated 80% of what you think is negative. We've read that a few times. 80% of the thoughts that cross our mind been given through thousands of people took the same study and they started to assess their last, you know, 20 thoughts, their last 40 thoughts, their last 100 thoughts. And oh my gosh, about 80% was negative towards my boss, towards my, my, my wife or my whatever, my neighbor, um, you know, whatever it is. But how many of you guys realize God can renew your mind till you start listening to the voice of the comforter? 
who is always giving life. All right, so forgiveness is three things. Why is forgiveness important? Everybody hold up that first finger for a minute and say, forgiveness is a sign of God's grace at work. All right, say this with me. Forgiveness, it's a sign of God's grace at work. Because think about this. It's a sign that God's love has filled my heart. It's a sign that it, it covers a multitude of sins, that God's grace expressed towards me can now be expressed towards others. This is gonna sound so simple, but it's profound and it's powerful. And we need to hear this today. Being mistreated does not give you permission to hold an offense. Come on, I'm coming out swinging today. <laughs> Two wrongs do not make a right. Being mistreated, I'm going to repeat it, does not give you permission to hold an offense. And I want to say this, you're going to hear me say this a lot today. When we realize how much we've been forgiven, guys, we freely give grace to others. The most grace-giving, kind, I'll say it like this, understanding people you will ever meet it's because they're so thankful for the grace God has given them. And I don't know about you, but I, I want God to make me that way. I want God to make me that way. So you have to ask yourself, how quickly do you assume the best of people? Somebody's running five minutes late. Are you going, oh, I can't believe they would disrespect me like that. Or are you going, oh, maybe they, was a, there was an accident in front of them or something. You see, where's your mind go? Where's your mind go? Are you quick, quick to be offended? And we're going to talk about that. Why? Maybe there's, a, maybe there's an offense down in there. Okay, everybody, everybody just touch, touch your gut for a minute. Sometimes there's an offense down in there that was a, a foothold, the Bible calls it. And because it wasn't dealt with, it became a stronghold. We're going to talk about that. So there was an offense some of you are smiling with conviction. You're like, <laughs> I literally just saw about 10 of you go, <laughs> you felt that. It's almost like you were ticked off and Satan's like, I'm gonna put my foot in right there. I just had a funny story. <laughs> Can I just be ADD? Well, I am gonna be anyway, because I have the microphone. But there's times when I'm trying to put Lucas to bed and he's really fast and he'll put his foot. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not gonna crush your foot in the door. So I'm just going to come in and hug you again. Um, that has nothing to do with the sermon. I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, what was I saying? Oh, <laughs> Satan, this is a terrible illustration. I'm going to move on. That did not apply at all. Okay, let's just keep moving. Galatians 6. I don't have time to read it today. I had to edit it out on my sermon. I don't have time to read it. I just want you to write this down. Galatians 6, if you're taking notes. He talks about sowing in the Spirit. And here's what I want to say. Whenever I give love and grace to someone, I'm sowing in the spirit. And that means that not only is the person blessed, because hear me, they're taken off the hook, but I'm blessed. You think about that. We're sowing in the spirit. The Bible teaches you that the what you sow, you reap. In fact, later in Luke 6 and 7, Jesus is talking about the way that we judge other people that that's how we will be judged. 
A lot of preachers take that, con- that verse out of context and they apply it to finances. It has nothing to do with finances. How many guys realize when you read the Bible, you got to read in context? Come on, right? All right, so he's talking about judgment. He says, if you judge people harshly, then you'll be judged harshly. You give grace to people, you'll be given grace. And how many want to receive grace? Guys, I want to receive grace. 1 Corinthians 13 says it like this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. We handed out a great book uh, early in the year. It's only one of two books where I actually called the publisher and said, give me this as cheap as possible because I want to give this to every family in our church. We give away the bait of Satan and three of you ended up doing a life group with that. But I'm going to give you a couple quotes here from him. Satan hopes, hear me, this is what John Bevere says. Satan hopes that we will take his bait of offense so that he will have a foothold in our lives. And I don't know if you've ever met somebody like this. And even as I describe what I'm about to describe, you might say, that sounds like me. But we've all met someone sometimes where they're always offended. They live in a state of offense. It's because at some point they were offended. Someone bothered them. Someone someone hurt them, said something, right, off-color, inappropriate, and it stuck. How many know what I'm talking about? Because it's happened maybe to all of us, right? If we're honest, it's happened to all of us. And if we don't give that hurt to the Lord, we will live in a state of offense. Hebrews says it like this. It's a root of bitterness. He says, see to it that a root of bitterness doesn't swell up in your heart. See to it. You hear that intentionality? See to it. Everybody say, see to it. See to it that a root of bitterness doesn't grow up in your heart. Wow. Do you know you can forgive anyone? Add that in this morning. I was rereading my sermon and I'm like, Lord, what else can I say to make this? Because see, sometimes we say, well, Jordan, you haven't met my boss. I have not met your boss, but I'm going to give you a story from the Bible that would show you you can forgive anyone. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Two weeks ago, I actually read about David and the way he treated Saul. Saul had become really envious of him. He, he could see that David's life carried favor. I mean, right, he goes out to battle as just a young leader and all the women are singing his praises. He's killed his uh, 10,000s, but Saul has only killed his thousands. And, and this starts to enrage Saul. And Saul then, instead of honoring young David, which that's what every leader is called to do, see the gifting in someone else and elevate them above themselves. That's what leaders are called to do. But instead of that, he became cynical and envious. And he actually tried to kill, he wanted to kill David. So he is trying to kill this guy. How many guys would say, if, if, if dude is trying to kill you, he's your enemy? Okay, a little quiet over here. Let's try this side. Maybe you guys are like, I don't watch enough 2020 or Dateline. Let me just, maybe you guys over here. Any, anybody else like a Dateline fan? I know, it's kind of it's kind of weird. That's it's, it's my jam. <laughs> like, oh, who died tonight? No. All right. I just confessed my sin to you. <laughs> All right. How many of you guys would realize if you're David and he is trying to kill you, you would perceive this man as your enemy? Okay, thank you. Thank you. All of you, you need to participate like them. Okay. Just saying. That's how it works. So David has two chances to kill Saul. 
First chapter, uh, or First Samuel 24 tells us David's men tried to convince David to kill Saul. It was, it was definitely tempting because Saul's trying to kill him. I mean, we would say, hey, hey, listen, judge, you don't understand. This is self-defense. There is a murder plot. There's a bounty on my head. You don't understand. This is self-defense. Wow. But David knew it was up to God's timing for someone to be judged. Let me say that again. Vengeance is the Lord's, not yours. David knew it was up to God to bring judgment. So he had a few chances. Saul camped out in the desert of Zips on the hill of Helkilah, however you say that. King Saul was lying asleep next to his commanding officer, Abner, with the army encamped around them. So picture this. Abner and the guards, and the guards were not doing their job in keeping the king safe. Okay, they fell asleep. How many of you guys realize that's a terrible guard? He's just, just snoozing, right? David comes up. Abishai whispered to David, let's go kill King Saul now. God is giving you this chance. Oh boy. Just because somebody includes the word God, side note, this doesn't have to do with my sermon, but just because somebody includes the word God in their advice to you doesn't mean it's from God. Just wanna say that. Be discerning, pray about it, Okay, God's giving you this chance. David said no and simply took Saul's sword and water jug as proof that he could have killed him. The next morning, David shouted across the valley to King Saul, telling him that he had the chance to kill him, but he would let him live. And David committed in his heart. I'm summarizing a whole chapter for you here. Listen to this. I would not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. Some of you have an offense towards your boss at work, towards your direct report. And maybe every time you enter the break room, you're gossiping about him. Can I, can I talk to you today as your pastor? It's important that when we come into church, we don't have two streams coming out of the same mouth. We don't come into church and say, I love you, Jesus. And then Monday morning at work, we're just really bad talking our boss, our manager. How many of you just put your hand in your heart and say, Lord, help me. You just say that with me, Lord, help me right? Like David, to honor whoever is put in my life. I just want to tell you, if David, if David can honor Saul, you can honor whoever is in a position of authority over your life. Amen? Can I add one more thought on this? It's subtle. Pastor John Kilpatrick talks about word, word curses and speaking blessing and the difference. Those things are subtle, you might not out loud just overtly say, my boss is a terrible person. But it can be subtle remarks that show dishonor. Come on. And we got to be careful because Paul says our mouth is like a rudder of a ship. Right? And so he can control, he can teach us to control because sometimes we have an offense and we're living with that offense when really we just need to give that forgiveness. We need to forgive that person, even if it is a boss, and take it to the Lord. Amen? All right, so number, number two. Is anybody else getting free today? Is anybody getting free? We're only step, step one of three. We're good. Some of you are like, I'm, I'm halfway there. Actually, that's a third of the way there. I'm terrible at math. Number two. Forgiveness sets me free, not just the person. You've probably heard this before, right? Forgiveness sets me free, not just the other person. Somehow we believe that if I hold it over someone's head, 
Think about that. If I hold the debt, but what did Jesus say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive. So think about that word debt. Somebody owes you. In fact, the second I preach this, if I say somebody owes you, you got someone come to mind, maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you, hey, probably need to forgive that person. <laughs> that was 1998. For some of you, it's fresh. Probably need to forgive that someone. That, that, was, that was last week. Forgive us our debts as we forgive. I, I want to, man, I feel like I could feel this hitting home today. I can literally feel it in the room hitting your hearts. Have you ever heard the word stewing? I just wrote down the word stewing because I want to explain to you stewing. Have you ever been stewing? I know every, every one of you, you were like absolute Boy Scout Christian, right? Like you just wake up and you're like, fruit of the spirit, you know? Danny and Alicia, probably you too. You know, like the sweetest humans in the world. But the rest of us, come on. How many have ever been stewing? Like you're driving and suddenly you're like, oh, I'm clenching my teeth. Anybody? Come on. Thank you. I, I love the transparency now. See, a little joke and it helps you, all get, helps you all get transparent. Sometimes you're stewing and your wife will say, what's wrong with you? Nothing. <laughs> Clearly. Have you ever asked somebody that? What's wrong? Nothing? Oh, clearly nothing's wrong. Clearly you're doing great. <laughs> wow. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Wow, why don't you just go sing with Lyndall tonight, aren't you? No, you're stewing. Some of you are stewing and that's why you're running red lights. I'm preaching myself once right now. I'm, I'm saying this out loud and I'm remembering a moment that I ran a red light and I kid you not, I was honest with the police officer. I can tell you right where I was. I can tell you right where I was. I was right in front of the Walgreens. You know, the Circle K used to be a BP in Cortland. Yeah, I ran that red light and, and the, woo, the police officer, here goes the lights and he pulls me into Walgreens and he's like, you just completely ran that red light. And I said, officer, I am so mad, or I mean, I am so sorry. I'm mad in my mind at, at something somebody said, and I was thinking about that. Forgive me, I'm really sorry, I'm an idiot. I just said, I said, I, am not, I was not paying attention. He's like, it's okay, buddy. You could tell he was like, felt bad for me. He's like, it's okay, little buddy, you know? And it doesn't help my size. I, sometimes people tell, you know, they're like, it's okay, little 12 year old, you know, and I'm like, I'm a grown man. I hate when people do that. When people call me buddy, I just like, don't call me buddy. I'm not 12. I'm like, I'm 40, buddy, almost. Anyway, that's what happened. But hey, I got out of the ticket, glory. <laughs> got out. None of that was in my sermon. I need to focus. All right, here's the point. I miss, I literally drove right through a red light because I was mad at someone in my head. Like, I, I realized it. Guys, I pulled in and I was like, how did I miss that? And I'm like, oh, I was playing the movie. Come on, some of y'all need to, Stop playing the movie. That offensive thing, that stupid thing somebody said to you that, yes, they were wrong. Yes, they were wrong. But it doesn't mean it should rob you of your joy all day long. Some of you, that thing was said to you a month ago and you're still stewing. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's preaching at you. <laughs> he's preaching, not talking to me. No, don't say that. That's a terrible thing to advise. All right, three side effects. Number one, you'll be short-tempered. Until you deal with the real issue, you will walk in, you'll take it out on Fluffy, on anybody. You're short-tempered. 
If you're snapping and you're wondering, why am I snapping? I'll tell you why. There's an offense that you got to deal with. Number two, you'll miss the opportunity to pray for unbelievers right around you. You know why? You're hurting so bad, you can't see who's hurting. Come on, I've done that. Sometimes we're hurting so bad, someone's literally right in front of us needing a miracle and we don't even see him because we got the blinders of offense on. Number three, you're missing the joy you're meant to walk in. According to God's word, Jesus says the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Jesus did not say the kingdom of God is drudgery, guilt, and offense. Welcome. He said the kingdom of God, right? Righteousness, joy, and peace. Everybody say this with me. Righteousness, joy, and peace. God designed you to walk in those things. And so if you're walking around with an offense towards someone, you got to get rid of that. You got to give that to Jesus. And we're going to talk about some practical ways in a minute on how to do that. But I want to say a couple other things. Unity, I've said this a lot for many years here. I want to say it again. Unity requires humility. There's a lot of Christians that instead of moving on in their heart and forgiving their brother or sister at church who offended them, they literally move on. They don't, they, you, they don't last more than two years at a church because the minute they get offended, they're like, well, I'm just gonna go find another group of people. That's a bad sign. What that says is you're living under the law. You see, here's the problem. When you step out of a framework, I'm living under the grace and you step into living under the law, Jesus says, here's the problem. If you live under the law, you'll be judged according to the law. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And I don't know about you, but I need the grace of God. I need God to give me grace. I want you to picture a big orange roadblock in a road. Can you picture that? Picture, have you guys ever come up to a big orange, right? Orange and white roadblock. I wanted to make this practical. So I want, to, I want you to picture this. Unforgiveness, guys, it's like a roadblock. And it stops you from moving on for what is next for you. Man, even as I say that, I can think of a, a story. There's no way you know this person, so I'll just share. One time I interviewed a young man, and again, there's no way you could have ever met this person. But I was on interview three with this young man, and literally every interview, he brought up the same offense with the previous person. And I thought, man, if we're three interviews in and every single conversation leads back to that, he's not going to be life-giving to my people here if he's got a hurt going on that he hasn't dealt with. And again, he is oblivious to it. He's a pastor ready for a new position. Often, we don't step into the new thing God has for us because we're carrying an offense. It's a roadblock. John Bevere put it like this, many people are unable to function properly in God's purposes and calling for their lives because of wounds, hurts, and offenses in their lives. Unforgiveness stops unbelievers from getting a revelation of Jesus. Think about this. Because according to John 17, when we gather together in his name and are unified, Will talks about this a lot. 
When we're gathered together in his name, Jesus is seen. The Bible is very clear about that. Paul teaches about that. When we gather in unity, Jesus is seen. Everybody got it? Say, got it. When we are refused to be united, Jesus is not seen. Think about that. Wow. So my, if I choose to hold on to an offense, I'm actually stopping people from seeing Jesus. Wow. I want to ask you this. Why do you think Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies? I'll tell you why. You will begin to love anyone you pray for. And if you've done that, you know what I'm talking about. Why? You're getting the heart of God for them and God loves them. Once you pray for your enemy, anyone who has offended you, you will begin to love them more. Think about that. I've had this happen to me. Someone's really ticked me off. Do you guys know even pastors get mad? That's right. We're humans. It's true. I've had it happen to me. And then I remember the Holy Spirit being like, why don't you pray for them? It's like, I don't want to. Everybody else just get a little stubborn. Holy Spirit would be like, why don't you pray for them? I'm like, no, God, it's too hard. But here's the truth. When I pray for them, I get God's heart for them. When I get God's heart for them, I treat them like God does. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you getting this? Because here's the thing. So many Christians let unforgiveness zap their energy and resources. Hear this. A lot of Christians let the enemy, the intruder, remember who we define Satan? He's the intruder. He's the liar. He's the thief. And a lot of times when pastors or a guest evangelist or somebody comes in and prophetically is challenging us towards some new thing, we say in our minds, pastor, I can hardly see my way clear through tomorrow because of the things I'm dealing with. But the answer is locked up in the issue of repentance and of forgiving of that person. So what do we do when we have these offensive words? Sadly, we often let them live rent-free in our minds. And Scripture tells, them, tells us to make them captive, take them captive, and make them obedient to Christ. Something I said last year in a sermon, right, is this, that if you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will take you captive. And when someone has offended you through something they did or something they said, you have to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. In other words, su submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Jesus loves them and died for them, even though they're acting inappropriate, I'm gonna love them and treat them the way God does anyway. Some of you say, oh, I don't know about that. That's a lot of grace. I know it's a lot of grace. How many of you guys would say, sometimes it is hard to love certain people. Just give me just a mini nod, because I know we don't want to confess that. Some, a couple of people in the back gave me a giant nod. Yes. But here's what I want to say. One of the truest tests of your Christian maturity is whether you're willing to forgive someone and see the best in them and continue to be their brother and sister and friend and move on. Let me say it again. One of the greatest signs, one of the most obvious signs, according to the Bible, of your Christian maturity is whether you're willing to forgive someone and still treat them as a brother or sister. 
You see, negative things and offenses can land in our minds and absolutely be a roadblock from what God wants to do. So again, who's putting that in your mind? Who's tempting you to do that? When you say, I'm mad at that person, I'm accusing them, it's almost like that voice is the accuser. Guys, this sermon's so simple, really. You can listen to the comforter who always gives life and grace and comfort, or you can listen to the accuser who always accuses. Wow, think about it. This is so simple. All right? Everybody just point with your left hand. The accuser, and point with your other hand, the comforter. So how do you respond? How are you responding? Wow. Number three, forgiveness of others is required for me to be forgiven. You say, man, that's a little steep, Jordan. I'll know. I'm going to read the Bible for you. Matthew 6, Jesus' closing comments on this. If you forgive other people their sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Everybody just say it with me. Wow. That's a hard one, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I want to be forgiven. And when I choose to say, I'm not going to let somebody off the hook. Pastor, you don't understand what they did to me. I don't, I don't have to understand. And I under, I'm not diminishing in any way the hurt that someone has brought you. I believe me. I believe you that you were deeply hurt. But I want to tell you, you can be free today. In Jesus' name, you can be free in your heart and in your mind from letting that person control you. Think about that. You're letting someone else's life that may not even live in your zip code control you. How about we get free from that? I want to tell you a story about the woman caught in adultery. Imagine being that woman. You were just run out of the house. You're not fully dressed and everyone can see it. The religious leaders and pastors are surrounding you with rocks in hand, ready to give you the punishment that you deserve. And suddenly a man walks through the religious leaders, but he has no rock in his hands. There's no anger in his eyes and you're terrified by all the threats around you, but this man has no threat in his eyes. There's no threat in this man whatsoever. There's only kindness such a stark contrast to the others that you're thinking, who is this and what does he want with me? And with every step he takes, you realize this is the healer that everyone's been talking about. Some people have been calling him Messiah. If anyone should judge you, it is him. But instead, he knelt down, he drew something in the sand, and he asked you a simple question. You can barely see through your tears. You can barely think straight. Your hands are shaking because you're afraid for your life. Jesus turns back to the religious leaders and he says, you without sin cast the first stone. And one at a time, starting with the older ones, they dropped their stones. Jesus' stern look 
turns around back towards you and changes back to that compassion and love. And he asks you a question. Where are your accusers? It's probably a lump in your throat. Probably can't even answer them. And off that rhetorical question, Jesus just says, neither do I accuse you. Wow. She's caught in sin. She deserves it according to the law. But what Jesus knows about her is that she is simply caught up in habitual habits, life-destroying habits, and that she's probably really hurting on the inside. And Jesus loves her with all the love of Father God in heaven. And so he kneels down to her and says, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. By the way, can I tell you what religion does? It flips that. Religion says, go and sin no more first. But going without sinning is a result of first experiencing the love of Jesus. Let me say that again. Going through your life without sinning is easy when you experience the grace of Jesus. Some of you say, Pastor Jordan, be careful preaching that grace stuff. That's dangerous. People will take advantage of it. No, my friend, when you really experience grace, the person of grace, Jesus, it will cause you to love holiness because Jesus is holiness. Grace can change you from the inside out where you realize you are that person that was guilty of sin, guilty of wrecking not just your life, but other people's lives. Do you believe those words that Jesus gave us? That the way you treat other people is going to affect the way that you are treated. It's like we have this speck of sawdust in our eye, Jesus says, right? This log in our eye and we see someone else and we want to focus on the tiny speck. It seems that we have x-ray vision to see the shortcomings of others, but quite blind to see our own. Understanding this, guys, is a major key to your freedom. Jesus is saying we need to first judge ourselves and not to judge others, to bless and not curse. Justice is good, but mercy is better. Guys, I want to say it again. Justice is good, but the Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's say it together. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow. You stand with me to your feet. I'm going to invite the prayer team to go to the sides and the sides of the stage and the sides of the room here. And I want to invite you, if there's something in your heart, there's two, a couple things I want you to think through. If there's, if there's something in your heart, there's an offense towards someone and they're not in the room, I want you to go to a prayer team member and say, hey, I need help dealing with this. Now, here's the thing. The minute I say that, here's what we're tempted to, I'm not walking. Everybody will know. That's why the lights just went dim. Great timing. 
Seriously, we try to dim the lights to make it a little more private for you, but hear me. What if in humility you said, I need this? Do you know God always responds to humility? He always responds to humility. And so if you will humbly either come to the altar and just kneel at the altar by yourself or go with a prayer team and say, I, I, I got anger and an offense towards someone and I got to get this off my chest. I got to get this out of my spirit. And I'm telling you, God can set you free.